great time last week when Robin communicated her message. If you, don't, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it, not because she's my wife, because it was just that good. And uh, the idea and what she communicated was wonderful, and it got me thinking about a lot of things and, and kind of re, re, rediscovering and re-reading uh, some parts that are connected to that story and during that time period and what have you, and, and, uh, and different translations. And I, I fell up, uh, upon um, First Peter, and some of the stories regarding Peter and his work within the Gentile community is so powerful and encouraging uh, for us as a, as a church because if you look at the Gentile community during the time, and, and if you've been here long enough, you've heard me say this before, but the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, if you will, were really seen as um, not just outsiders and not just marginalized. That would be putting it very mildly. Um, the Gentiles of the day would have be, be considered unclean, uh, definitely unholy. They would be seen as people that... Uh, Jews of the, the Jews of the time wouldn't let them watch or nanny for them or, or even be servants in their home because they'd be afraid they'd try to do some like sacrifice with one of their children. It was a very, very um, clear dividing line culturally between the non-Jews and Jews. And, and, and it was really presented like the selected ones and the ones that, that, that um, aren't included, that aren't, aren't a part, that can't be, um, can't be seen as equal. And it was, it was, we've got a lot of that going on today, but even with how nasty and awful some of the stuff that's going on today is, it doesn't really ultimately compare uh, to what, it was that bad, if you can imagine. It was maybe closer to the times of, um, of, of slavery here or some of the worst parts of civil rights, um, even Stonewall. There, it was, there was violence, there was uh, such a tumultuous atmosphere between these people groups. And so when we read and see Peter, Peter becoming a, an apostle, an evangelist to the Gentiles was not seen kindly by a lot of his peers. It just wasn't. But there was such a distinct message from God that Peter was supposed to go to the Gentiles that he could not ignore it. You know the life of Peter, most of you. He's the one that denied Jesus three times. He's the one that made countless mistakes. He's the one that was probably swarthy and a little bit off-putting and probably had a sense of humor that didn't always click with the, the, the religious elite of the day. And he just, he just had a lot of rough edges about him and seemed to be quick-tempered. The guy, had, the guy was not the perfect model of like, let's, let's let him carry the message of the gospel. He just wasn't. And yet somehow, of course, God picks the most unlikely. You say, how do you know that? <laughs> you know? I do. He picks the most unlikely. He picks the ones that people think they'll never be the ones. He, he, he just has a way of taking those that don't seem, to, don't seem to have what it takes or seem to be able to keep it together, and, and he says, I'm going to use you. And what did he say about Petrus, about Peter? He said, upon Petrus, he said, upon this rock, you, Peter, Peter being the word rock, I will build my church. He literally built his church upon, upon the, the, the foundation of a very, very flawed human being. That's good news for you and me. Anyone in here have a couple flaws? Let me, let me fix this. If you're with your partner or your spouse... 
uh, spouses, any, does the person next to you have any flaws? No, okay, never mind. Don't raise your hand. Um, good on you, Rodney. Dave's gone. So again, tattle. Um, but, you know, and so when you read anything written by Peter, when you read a statement from Peter, read it through that lens. Understand who he was. Understand what he was called to. He wasn't called to the Jews. He was called primarily, not completely, but primarily to the Gentiles. So when we read 1 Peter 1, we're only going to stay there in 1 Peter 1. Uh, by the way, just to have fun today, the title of my message is Classified. <laughs> you say, why? Because I'm a troublemaker. That's why. All right? It's called Classified. It actually makes sense in the end, but it's called Classified. You're welcome. All right. But you don't even know who I'm talking about because it just seems like everybody's got classified material. I've got a couple boxes in my bathroom right now. Okay. Um, whoa, too soon. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. First uh, Peter chapter 1. This is, we, we skip these verses because we get to the good stuff. This is uh, his introduction. This is like, Here's who I am and who's, this is who I'm writing to. And we just skip that part. Like, like that's not important. And he says, to those, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is how he, this is his, you know, dear, dear mom, right? This is his intro to his letter. Because this is just one big letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Who is it to? To those who are elect exiles, of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Okay. We skip that part usually. We get to verse 3, which we're going to get to in a moment. Who he's writing it to. Let me tell you who he's writing this letter to. Because... When you know who he's writing it to, and then you read verse 3 and 4, and 5, and 6, and 7, and 8, it takes on a whole new meaning. He's writing to, and as you can see here, a group of people who have been elected to be exiled. Exile's not fun. That means sent away from your homeland and dispersed. And part of this reason was is because they saw this as a rebellion. Christianity and the principles behind it and the life of Jesus and what his disciples carried on from him was seen as a rebellion. So the best way to split up the rebellion is let's exile people not together in different parts of uh, the regions around us so that they can't join together and have any sort of power or any sort of influence. And so these people had been dispersed and exiled and it's very interesting because when you, when you begin to understand what Peter was trying to remind these exiled ones and, and dare I say, rejected ones, boy, it takes on a whole new meaning for us. And I'm going to be very clear with you. Who I'm talking to in this room is you and me. Because every one of us have given have given religion a reason to reject us. Anybody with me? Oh, not me, Pastor Dan. Really? 
really. Well, just for the fact you come to this church, you've given religion a reason to reject you. So if you're listening or watching, you're in, all right? No, we've all given religion, maybe friends, family, maybe people that we care about, culture, society. We've given people a reason to reject us. We all really are rejected ones in different ways. Some of us have suffered much greater. We all have experienced or deserved, deserved maybe being the key word, rejection. One of the translations of this says, your original identity is defined by what God, the father of mankind has always cherished about you. Knowing that your pre-Adamic innocence and spirit would be preserved in the prophetic word and redeemed through obedience of Jesus and the effect of the sprinkling of his blood, realizing his grace and peace exceeds any definition of contradiction or reward. In other words, on every side of the spectrum, his grace and peace extends beyond it. That's good news. I'm going to get somewhere, I promise. Y'all don't look near as excited when I'm up here compared to last week. I'll tell you that much right now. Don't worry, I got some tricks. Pull them out right now. I'm going to start twerking. No, I'm not. I am just kidding. I am just kidding. It's too far. Okay, I'm sorry. I can literally feel my mother looking at me right now. Okay. I'm 42, mother. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. There's two main paradoxes here that we see Peter dive into. The number one is we see him introduce the idea of the paradox of the Gentile. And then we also see, and I'm going to cover both of these so you understand why, but the other one that we see here is the paradox of the elect exiles. Let's start with the Gentile for a moment because it's important. And I hate to break the news to you, but every one of us in this room are Gentiles. Right here in the opening kind of verse of the letter, Peter kind of begins to co-opt the language of, of the ethnic Jews. He's using language that a Gentile wouldn't necessarily understand because he, even though he's, he's writing the letter, he knows later on this will be seen as he's recording it by Jews and he wants them to know exactly what he believes God is communicating to these Gentile people. Very important. So he's already beginning to use language that is the language of ethnic Jews and he's applying it to a group that more than likely more of them are Gentiles than Jews. It was like the saints that were kind of what we called Asia Minor. And he calls them people of the dispersion. And dispersion is a, is a historical term. Hopefully we'll learn something today. Using that day to talk about ethnic Jews who had been scattered throughout the Roman Empire from Jerusalem and Israel. And it's, it's, um, it's no mistake that Peter refers to a majority group of Gentiles with a word that's only used for Jews. Do you hear me today? You know, one of the things that angers people the most is when this church looks at somebody that other parts of the Christian faith would look at and say, you're not one of us. And we call them by name. It, 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 is, it, 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 it ticks off the religious demon when we look at somebody who's been traditionally not seen as one of us and we call them a sibling oh that you can just feel that religious thing wait a second 
And anybody who carries the wait a second is not being honest with who they are and where they've been and what they've done. Can we be real? And so it's real key to understand what we're being communicated with here today. Are you with me? My computer's going to start back up. Here we go. So Peter co-ops this language. He's using a word that normally refers to Jews, even though he's writing to mostly Gentiles. And it's astonishing here because Peter is, is the one that this comes through. And if you understood the early life of Peter, Peter was hostile towards Gentiles. Peter had a change of heart towards Gentiles. Peter would have, um, what, what, what did I write here? Um, <laughs> that he was, the idea that young Peter would be grafted or that would believe that Gentiles would be truly grafted into the family and be equal people for, with Jews, you would never imagined if you knew young Peter. And it is, it's even after Jesus died and said that he was essentially going to suffer and die for all of humanity, and he rose three days later, Peter still didn't think the Gentiles were included. We're not talking about some guy who wanted to push against the system from the beginning. We're talking about somebody that at a young age was programmed was, was, was indoctrinated, if you will. I hate to use those terms, but indoctrinated at a young age that it is us for no more. It is us and us only. And those people, those people that aren't us are dirty. And he has this awakening. And the awakening comes, and I don't have time to read it, but the awakening comes because Peter is sent reluctantly To the Gentiles. He, he got the short straw. <laughs> and he's thinking he's going to do his best to try to navigate through this. And maybe they can kind of kind of be a part of the faith. and But maybe not kind of part of the faith. And But we'll just, you know, I, I'm not quite sure how this is going to work. And then something happens miraculous where the Spirit of God falls upon. Falls, you've heard me talk about this before, but I, I have another thing I want to get to here, but Peter has this change of heart because the Spirit of God essentially selects a group of people, the Gentiles, that Peter years before would say, God wants nothing to do with them, and he watched the Spirit of God fall on them, and so he ends up baptizing them, and the Jews that were with him said, how dare you do this, and he said, how can I forbid them our waters when the Spirit of God, who am I to tell God that they're not equal? Who am I to tell God that they're not a part? My parents, years ago in, 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 in the 1990, to give you a brief history, they started a food bank with the members of the church here. And in two years' time, they realized that a lot of the people that were coming that were food insecure um, had some life-altering substance abuse issues. And in two years' time, they figured out we're, we're going to do something about this and so they mortgaged their own home they had five kids working multiple jobs and they took a mortgage out of their own home to buy kind of a rundown place um, in north sarasota uh, near 41 and pour their own life and sweat equity and the members of our church at the time same thing to kind of rehab this place and to put the first resident who had a life-altering addiction to crack cocaine in that place. And that was the birth and beginning of Harvest House. 
five years before that, everybody said, um, you know, it was just another church in town. And through just the spirit of God and, and human experience and people coming and giving them, you know, prophetic words and things like that, all of it kind of jived together like, this is not ever going to be, I want, I want to make this clear to you. In 1986, was it? Was it the Bob Bartlett thing? 1986, I was five. You're welcome to do the math, okay? I was five, 86. My parents received a word from a man who believed that God gave him a message for the church. And he essentially said, you haven't been called to the people that you have, essentially. You're called to the disenfranchised. You're called to the people that modern church doesn't necessarily want who have been kicked aside. We got that word in 1986 when I was five years old. And 37 years later, I'm proud to say that we are still a church that's arms are wide open to anyone who has been kicked aside. It started in 1992 with Harvest House, really in 1990 with our food bank. And today, Harvest House has 384 or 380, 380 beds for men, women, and children who have either had life-altering substance abuse issues or incarceration or homeless families who who are sleeping under a bridge somewhere or on somebody's couch who have children or unaccompanied youth who have aged out of the foster care system or any of those people that graduate the program and can't afford Sarasota rent and need somewhere safe to live. 380 beds, 37 years later. Last year, Aaron's going to be so proud of me because I never know the numbers. Last year, we served 899 men, women, and children. 899 people were served in supportive housing in Sarasota and Manatee County last year because of Harvest House. And it all was birthed from a Peter-like moment that said, you're not actually called to these people. Come on, church, you got to hear me. You're not actually called to these people. You're called to these people over here. That's the result 37 years later. Last year, this church and Harvest House collectively were one nonprofit but two separate bank accounts. Because Harvest House has more money than us, all right? <laughs> but they need it because they've got 30, 28 employees. 20 employees. Last year, we gave away over $1.7 million in food right here on this property to Sarasota. And over a million of it came from Trader Joe's, donated to us where Julio works. Almost $1.8 million in food was distributed here. You know why? Because one day somebody said, we're not called to the people that look like us. We're not called to the people that vote like us, love like us. Come on, come on. Function like us, come from the same background, have the same color skin. At some point, somebody had to say, I'm not called to just the people that are like me. Do you hear me today? 
So I'm not tying this in. I wasn't planning on it. But that's why when we do something like Diverse Fest, we're actually carrying forth the mission of this church. Because what we're saying is we're not just called to people that come in and say, Oh, you make me brave. I know this song. I've known it for years. God bless him. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending. I want people that have no idea what we're talking about. I have the people that come in here and say, What song is that? Do you guys know Mustang Sally? Do you hear me today? How about brown-eyed girl? Do you do that one? We have brown-eyed Jesus. I thought he had blue eyes. That white devil's coming out right now, okay? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's who we want. Man, if everyone looked and acted like me, we'd be bored to death. I put half of you to sleep on a Sunday morning anyways. You know? We need, man, like Sequoia, we need you. Like we need you. We need, we need you, Jamie. We need John Bibler. Believe it or not, we even need John Bibler right behind you. <laughs> we need every person that is here. Why? I told somebody recently, I said, if you came to church on a Sunday morning and you polled a hundred of the people in here, they'd all tell you a hundred different theologies. They say, you could say, well, pastor, you're not doing a very good job. No, I'm doing a great job. I give my own assessment of myself, okay? I'm doing a great job. You know why? Because every person in this room has their own unique journey of faith, their own path that they're walking towards God. And the good news is, is that it's 100 different journeys or 150 different journeys, and all of them are amazing in the sight of God. But what's beautiful about them is it's not my journey that's rubber stamped 150 times. It's your journey. You own it. You know it. It's yours. And that's what faith is about. Do you hear me, church? I better stop before I get in trouble here. Okay, here we go. So check this out. So we have this paradox of the Gentiles, and then we have the paradox of the elect exiles. This letter was written in the 60s, not our 60s, the original 60s, as in 060. <laughs> it's like, I see some of y'all back there ready to get on your disco pants, all right? It was written in the 60s to a scattered group of Christians who are beginning to feel the rising tide of persecution. They're people who didn't fit in with the religious paradigm of the day, the popular religious voice. This was a period before the major, like, Colosseum, burning Christians, Nero, all that came closer to 100, after 100 AD. This is in the 60s. This is 40, 50, 60 years before any of that. So they didn't yet face a massive kind of top-down persecution from the government. What they were beginning to feel, and the reason that, another reason that they were so scattered, was not because of the pressure they were feeling from the government, but they were feeling this kind of bottom-up kind of hatred. At this point, the actual hatred they were receiving was from neighbors, not from emperors. They didn't feel safe in their own neighborhoods. They didn't feel safe walking down the street in a city that maybe for generations their family had been in. They no longer felt safe in a place they once felt safe. I'm just going to let you marinate that. I'm not going to make any points. I'm going to make a point by smiling. 
I'll, I'll never forget the impact that, I'm going to say this, the impact that the George Floyd murder had. I don't know why it took me so long to get as ticked off as I should have been as just another human being here on this earth. But for some reason, that hit harder than anything I'd ever seen when it came to um, a specifically a black man or woman being targeted by a police officer. And on, it, was, it was a sobering moment to realize that for 39 years, I said, oh, sure, there's some systematic racism, but it feels like it's getting better. This white guy thought that I could make the decision on what was getting better or not better. Internally, I didn't do it outside, but I did it internally. I was like, well, we're progressing forward. And I'll never forget when that happened. Let me just give you a key here, folks, okay? When we are called to embrace people that don't look like us, don't, whatever, whatever the stuff is, I always list it out. The best thing we can do is shut our mouths and listen. Oh, I feel the anointing on that one right there. <laughs> shut your mouth and listen. It's the best thing you can do because we all have our ideas. Like, the big thing for Lando Lakes was we're going to take off any imagery off of it that has to do with indigenous people. Great idea, sure. But changing the outside of a butter package is not giving people back their land. Do you get what I'm saying? And I guarantee you somebody white came up with that idea and thought to themselves, bingo, bango, we did it. How about we actually talk to the people, come on, who are driven off the How about we talk to the families whose kids have been targeted by a police officer unfairly? How about we talk to the family of a guy like George Floyd where people sat around for almost nine minutes and watched somebody stick their knee on the back of them? How about we actually talk to a gay person in America who's living in Florida and is scared to death and wants to move out? How about we talk to, come on, how about we talk to an Asian American where Asian hate crimes are literally triple or quadruple what they've been in prior years? How about we actually talk to somebody and think, instead of thinking that we know what the answer is? If we will actually shut up and listen, we'll actually learn exactly what people groups are asking for and what their complaint is, and maybe we can actually see some real change. But as long as we think we have the answer because, quote-unquote, we represent Jesus, I'm preaching this morning. I know this is a little bit tough, but if it's tough, it's for a reason. You need to think about that, all right? Come on. As long as we think we have the answer, well, all of us, if I hear one more dumb politician say, well, the answers are in the word of God. That's easy for you to say you live in a $2 million mansion and that's one of your homes. You have a security force that drives you everywhere. You've got, you know, you're wearing Gucci underwear probably. Whatever, that, that's easy for you to say. Oh, the, the problem, the, just answers are in the Bible. No, let me tell you something. I do believe the answers are in the Bible, but you don't want to hear the answers because the answers are about loving your neighbor. The answers are about condemning hatred. The answers are about getting your hands dirty and being willing to listen and shut our mouths and not think we know everybody, everything. Come on, church. And so Peter is writing and writes these letters to people like that where he says, hey, listen, 
And do you know what he wants to remind them? Oh, if you were, if you were the Pharisee or the Sadducee of the day, you'd be like, round him up. This is what verse 3 and verse 4 say. You ready for this? I'm going to read it in two versions because you need to hear it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I'm going to read this in a different version. You want to know what Peter had to say to the exiles, the rejects, the Gentiles, the ones that don't fit in. You want to know what Peter had to say to them? Listen to this. This is good stuff. I didn't write it, but I'm going to act like I did. Here we go. He says this. He said, we are, in, we are reintroduced. Hey, those of you out there that have been dispersed, those of you that have been exiled, those of you that have been rejected, those of you that have been sent away, those of you that have been scattered, those of you that have been told don't come back to your homeland, those of you that are scared and running and don't know if anybody cares or anybody's listening, I'm writing you this letter to tell you one thing. You need to remember this. We, we are reintroduced to an imperishable inheritance which has been flawlessly preserved for us in the heavenly realm where neither Adam's fall nor mankind's failure to justify themselves could possibly contaminate, discredit, or diminish the original portion of our true sonship realized in Christ Jesus. In other words, it's a fancy way of saying that I don't care what you've done or what's been said or what you haven't done or what hasn't been said. Nothing has changed. Nothing can diminish. Nothing can discredit. Nothing can change or put on uh, expiration note. And he says it's imperishable. The flawless inheritance of our connection and union and sonship with the creator, which means they might have called you a Gentile, but you're actually just as Jewish as if you were born in a Jewish family. You're actually a part of the tribe. Well, that's good news. Oh, it takes on a whole new meaning when we know who Peter's writing to. He's saying, hey, 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 this is, this, is, this is a different group of people I'm writing to. And what does he write? I mean, it's, it's as if Peter's living today. It's as if he's writing this for the day. He's like, let me get this right off the top. Other than here's who I am and here's who I'm writing to. Point numero uno. I know how you're feeling. I've read your letters. I've listened. I hear that you are scared and dispersed and you are feeling the effects of being exiled, sent away from your homeland, treated like animals. I hear you. I've read your letters. I hear what the Jewish people, my, my colleagues, are saying about you. Do you see what I'm saying right now? I hear what my colleagues are saying about you. I hear it. So let me get this right off the bat. I am fully convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the sonship, the union, the connection to our creator through Jesus Christ cannot be affected no matter what, not through Adam's fall nor yours. Do you hear me today? Not through Adam's fall nor yours. Because the minute you go back to recognizing and realizing your connection, your sonship, your, you being a child grafted into the family of Almighty God, the minute you realize that you can't do anything about it, Adam couldn't do anything about it, and what Jesus has given us cannot be touched. Let's get this off the bat. Why? 
because it's the first thing. I'm going to end here because it's 11.22. But it's the first, it is the number one thing that the enemy wants to do. He wants to exile, disperse, divide, categorize. He wants to really divide and conquer humanity. Because let me tell you something. If we got 200 people in this room that believed 100% of what I believe, that looked like me, it would be a handsome group. (laughs) Why are you laughing? (laughs) That talked like me, that dressed like me. God forbid there'd be a lot of color. (laughs) Just a bunch of copies of me. If we got them in this room, we'd still figure out a way to have a hierarchy. We'd still figure out a way to determine like who's like really in, who's kind of in, and who are we gonna work, you know, we're gonna pray about. You know what I mean? Well, Dan number 64, I've been worried about him. He came into church, his eyes looked bloodshot. We'd figure out a way because the, 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 the voice of the accuser in the Greek is the word kategoros. It starts with a K. It's the same word as like to categorize people. So the voice of the accuser, the voice of the enemy, the antithesis, listen to me, the antithesis, the opposite of the gospel is dividing and separating and labeling. That's, if you want to know what's the opposite of the gospel, it's not sin and hell. It's actually categorizing, labeling, dividing, separating. That's what they did here with these people that were dispersed. Separate, get them separated out. When we drop that stuff, start listening, paying attention, welcoming, and reminding people that regardless of what my colleagues have said, You are included in this. You have the same inheritance as me. You belong to the same family as me. You have the same authority on earth as me. You've been gifted with the same gifts that God pours out on humanity as anyone else. The minute we start doing that, the enemy, all the enemy can do is try to convince those of you that are out there are listening. This is heresy. Really, I'm starting to think that heretic is my middle name. This is heresy. You're not really in. You're not. And then it gets you isolated because you're living in a land that's not your own far away. You don't have people around you encouraging you with the same voice and the same heart. And so you're there and you start to think, well, what, what, what if it's true? And, and that's why Peter couldn't barely get his pen off the page after he said, this is who I am and this is who I'm writing here to, to put in the most unequivocal, clear terms that if you're thinking you're not a part of the family, let me get this off the page right now. You are in. 
and you can't mess it up. Adam didn't mess it up. Your grandma didn't mess it up. Nobody messed it up. You are in because you're in because you're in because you're in because you are a child of God. And that's all that it, did you hear me today? I'm going to read it to you one more time, and we're going to end with this, because I need you to hear it. I need you to hear it deep down in your soul for you and for your neighbor and for your co-worker. I need you to hear this. We are reintroduced to the imperishable inheritance, which has been flawlessly preserved like a museum. That means there's no tarnish. There's nothing that is degraded. For us in the heavenly realm, where neither Adam's fall nor mankind's failure to justify themselves could possibly contaminate discredit or diminish the original portion of our true sonship realized in Christ Jesus. It cannot be contaminated, discredited, or diminished. Diminished. The original plan, the original inheritance, the original calling, the original sonship is still intact. Even though you're living in a land where you're scared and worried and feeling like an exile and rejected, it's still intact. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Yeah, that's the message right there. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise, because it's not me that's telling you. I'm telling you, it is the Spirit of God. And when we watch the Spirit of God fall on people, we don't sit there and decide we're going to shift it in another direction. We say, God, if your Spirit is falling like it did here this morning in worship, like it did last week and the week before, if your Spirit is falling upon humankind, we're going to keep doing it and going along with it and take cues from your spirit. We're going to take cues from listening to one another's human experience. We're going to take cues from what you said to us through Peter's life. Listen, I don't want to get into great detail, but last week, and I promise I'm going to close my fourth one. Last week, I had Angie Bibler to my left and Jamie G to my right. And their experiences in journeys to harvest are so different, I can't even get into it. So wildly different. And I look to my left, and I, I've been around Angie long enough, I know when she's feeling the Spirit of God. I just do. I won't imitate her, because I won't hear it, okay? But I know when she's feeling the Spirit of God, and she's getting worked up, and she's stomping her feet over here, and she's got a thing, and I was like, uh-oh, Angie's getting worked up. We've known each other, what, 30 years? Close to it? Longer? Longer? 32 years? She's getting, and, and we're doing this over here. Um, and then I look to my right, and Jamie's singing at the top of her lungs, this is our homecoming. <laughs> we're singing a song about coming home. And then Angie's singing on the mic. Jamie doesn't need a mic. Because she's loud enough. And I was like, my God! This is it! This is the Spirit of God falling indiscriminately upon humankind. Like, it didn't check in with me. Like, the Spirit of God wasn't like, we've got available ability for 10 this morning, so pick them out. Just falling. And that's what we have to keep doing, church. I will tell you this, we could pray for 30 years for revival and not see it, but somehow we have found ourselves in the middle of what I'm going to declare this morning, a revival, and it is a revival that we need. There is a revival happening in Sarasota, and it's happening right here. Amen? I don't know how to close other than to say, stand up, we're going to pray, and I'll shut my mouth. Woo! 
anything that comes into our heads to fight against the truth of who we are because of Jesus, because we have an inheritance. You go back and read 1 Peter. Remind yourself. I don't think you could have been much clearer than that. Covered all of his bases. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for this imperishable inheritance, flawlessly preserved, salvation that can't be contaminated, diminished, discredited. We thank you, God, that it is still in its original intact form, waiting for humanity to turn our heads away from the lies and towards you. We thank you today that you have established in this place a group of people that are brave enough to say, wait a second. They not, may not be exactly like me, but wait a second. Is the spirit of God falling? Thank you that we have a place to come to worship, to, to experience friendship and community and relationship with one another. And thank you that we have a place where every single person can come and experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in its original form, not some sort of baby, secondary, generic version, but it's an original form and that every person in this room has the same access to God as anyone else. We thank you for that, God. Encourage us today. Teach us to listen. Teach us to pay attention. Teach us to stop thinking we have all the answers. And let us be conduits of healing to this land, to our city, to our neighborhoods, to the job. Let us be conduits of your, the beauty that we find in the love of God poured out on humanity. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone says, amen. We'll see you. Hey, join us outside for the food truck stuff. We'd love to see you out there and we'll see you next week. And of course, uh, all the stuff going on. God bless you.